Welcome to Reveal Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Ephesians chapter 4. And let's continue in our study of the worthy walk this morning, the worthy walk that Paul has asked us to, to do on behalf of Christ and what he has done for us to show the love of God to the world and most importantly, to show unity within the church that would draw others to the church. So this morning, as we start off together, if you would take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, stand with me as we read the first few verses that we've read for several weeks now, and continue to look at this worthy walk. So in the first verse of chapter 4, it reads like this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Father, this morning we have read your word. We have sung praises to your beautiful name. We have spent time with the children thinking about Memorial Day, and now we're going to focus our attention solely upon what you are going to say to us through your word today. Father, for the last few weeks, we have looked at different aspects of that jewel that's called love. Today, we're going to endeavor to look at the greatest of all of those facets, and that's your love for us, that agape love. So today, you have me behind the cross. Make very little of me and very much of you so that we may see you for who you are. We pray all this in the name of the one who ultimately loved us with his life, and that is our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I was telling someone earlier that if for some reason God were to tell me that I had one more message to preach, and then I would be taken from this earth to to be with him, to never to have an opportunity to stand in a pulpit again. This topic, I won't say this sermon since there'll be no way we get through with it today, but this particular sermon would be the sermon that I would preach. Because there's one thing that we need to understand about God for anything else about God to make sense. And that's his love for us. We've talked about over the last couple of weeks different types of love we started off in that section where it was talking about forbearing love I took you to look at this eros love this love that we're so familiar with it's love that we actually now I would say in our language would probably use the word lust for more than love and it's this love that desires to see what it can take either from a relationship or from whatever it may be and and we all approach God in that kind of love we all approach God at some point in our life with this eros love looking to take from God's something to fix a situation in our lives we've all been there we've been there maybe as we approached our relationship with him coming from being a sinner to to him saving us through the death of his son Jesus Christ many come that way because of a tragedy in their life and they they're seeking something to solve that and they just need the pain to go away and and the only place they can find that is in this God and so we approach it sometimes in taking from from God and and so that's this eros love and and then from there, we talked about this phileo love. This phileo love is, is hopefully a love that you have for each other. It, it's the, the term that we use to name one of the greatest cities in, in America, and that's Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And it's because this love, this 
Phileo love is a give and a take love. It's what you do with your friendships. And, and a lot of times it's how marriages are interacted. And in most times those who start in this Eros love with God move to this position of Phileo love where they're trying their best to give back to God out of what he's blessed them with so that you can love him as much as he's loved you and, and you can kind of give back. And there's this phileo love that, that at, at first mention sounds good. It sounds like the type of love that God would want us to have, but it's not. It's not. He doesn't want us to, to dwell in this Eros love. He doesn't want us to take from him, and he doesn't want us to love others in that manner. This phileo love is not what he wants either. It's not about a give and a take. And, and even our relationships to the world are not about this phileo love. We try to befriend people to bring them into Christianity to let them see, but that's not what God did. That's not the place he wants us to stay. Today we're going to endeavor to dive into what God really wants us to know about love, and that's this, this agape love. Agapeo may be a better way to say it. It's the Greek term that you've heard pronounced agape or agape. It's this love that really, if you look into the Webster's Dictionary, as I try to do each week to give you our definition of, it's really not even there, <laughs> When you look up agape or agape in the Webster's Dictionary, it'll tell you something simply like, number one, it means love. That's it. Or it means love feast. That's it. It doesn't even go on to explain. It doesn't go on to give you anything to wrap your head around. So it kind of leaves us, if we look at today's world, at, at trying to decide for ourselves what love is. But you know, God's done a great job of telling us what agape love is in the Word. Matter of fact, it starts in Genesis verse 1, and it ends in the very last verse of the book of Revelation. We could spend all of eternity reading every page of the Bible, and on every page of the Bible, you're going to find agape love. You're going to find agape love because that's the only love that God knows. And it's a love that we're so unfamiliar with. In all honesty, if we truly understood what it meant to be loved by God with agape love, our life would look different. My life would look different. I spent days just trying to assimilate and put together in my head how to get you to love God the same way he loves you. And you know what I found out? I found out it's kind of like me trying to come up with one of you that's single and getting you to love a person because you need to be married. To say, hey, you know what? I got this plumber coming to your house to work at your house. How about you bake them cookies and I'll show up. And, and after he's through, you come out with the cookies and I'll say, oh, Diane, you just cook all the time and you're always at church. And I'll, I'll try and get them to be attracted to you and I'll try and get you to be attracted to them. And I'll, I'll try to put you together so that you've got a love in your life. And us... Trying to understand the love of God. And me trying to get you to love God is as ridiculous as that scenario I just gave you. I can't teach you to love someone else. I can't make you love somebody else. I can't make you love God. I wish I could. I wish I could take it, just pour it out. Just dump it on you. I wish with all of my heart that God's people would love him. As much as he loves us. I look at my life and say, God, if there's somewhere I fall short in you, it's loving you. It's loving you in the same way because you know how I know that? 
if I loved God the same way God loved me, sin would not exist in my life. If I loved God with all of my heart, the worldly possessions that I have would not be so important. If I loved God the way He loved me, my relationship with you would be better because I would continually look for your best, not my best. If we really understood how God loved us, this building couldn't contain the people that would want to come know. How do I know we don't love God and don't understand how God loves us? Because each of you have a seat and there's nobody standing around the walls. It's not about how I preach, it's about God's love. If we really understood what God did to love us, this world would be different. We wouldn't be worried about a country trying to blow Israel off the face of the map. We wouldn't be worried about who's getting elected to be our president. We wouldn't worry about somebody selling drugs from the street corner to our kids. Because if we really took the love that God showed us and we went out into the world and changed it, none of those things would be an issue. See, we want to legislate away problems when we should love away the problem. We should love those around us in the same manner that God loved us. So we're going to endeavor over the next few weeks to look at that love and what it means to be loved by God and what it means to, to love others in the same way. You see, to truly know the love of God, you must know this agape love. Agape love is best seen as a love that gives. It's a giving love. We must know what the love of God is in that giving. We must know how God showed that love to us. And we must know how God wants us to show that love to the world. See, when Paul looked at the Ephesian church and by extension looked at us and says, Walk worthy of the calling which you were called. And he said, With all lowliness, which we come to find out was humbleness. And he said, With all gentleness, which was that meekness in our life. And then what he said, With long suffering, which was patience. He was saying, From humbleness should come this this meekness and from this meekness should come this this long suffering this patience and out of all of those things should come this bearing together with each other this love of god this love of god you see but more than knowing the love of god we must believe that god loved us i can only say if the love of god doesn't come out in our lives we must not have ever taken that love into our heart and truly believed just how much he loved us so it's my endeavor over the next period of time together who knows how long i'm going to try to make you understand just how much god loves you let's look at john 15 we'll start there as i said we could use any passage anywhere in the bible and get to it but we're going to start there So John 15, let's just, uh, we'll just start in the first verse. I'm going to read a, a, a few verses and comment on them. Matter of fact, I'm just going to read the first 17 verses. We'll dive in in the 30 or 40 minutes we've got together. We'll try and go as far as we can, and where we stop, we'll pick up next week. So start at the very first verse of chapter 15 of the book of John. It says, I am the true vine, 
and my father is the vine dresser. Let's stop there. We'll take a line at a time. It says, I am the true vine. It's interesting to me that Jesus, whenever he's standing amongst these disciples and he's talking to them and he's trying to pass out to them who he is, who he is in this world, who he is in relationship to them, who he is in relationship to Christ, he reaches out into the world and something that they can see and understand. And that's his agricultural example. And he says to them, he starts off, he says, I am the true vine. I find it very interesting that he makes that particular statement. Because even though we haven't grown up in an agricultural world where we plant most of our food, we think, and most of our kids and grandkids think that food is grown at the grocery store, that they show up and it's just there. We don't understand the relationship between that tomato we see on the shelf and the vine it came off of and the dirt it went in and the guy who tended it. We no longer understand that relationship because this has become a world that we just get what we want and we leave with it. But when he talked to them, when he spoke to them, he started with something they could understand. And he says, I am the vine. See, every person really knows in their heart that there's this this relationship, this life cycle, so to speak. And that there's a cycle of life and there's a cycle of death. And it's through that that we see the nature of this statement that Jesus makes. Where he says, I am the vine. I find it interesting that the first two words of chapter 15 are, I am. Does it ring a bell with anywhere else in Scripture you can think of? Look back with me to Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. For when I started reading this, there was something just overwhelmingly came over me. That to really understand the love of God, we must first understand who God is. And in Exodus chapter 3, we see this story in the very first verse. It says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Notice it says this mountain of God, this place that they saw as a place of God. And it says in verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of of a bush. Now we've known this story since we were that tall. Remember the felt boards? Remember the felt boards they used to put up the bush and they'd slap this fire over top of the bush and they would say things like, There's this bush that was in the desert and, and, and Moses was passing by and he saw this bush. And he's like, That's funny, there's a bush just burning out in the middle of the desert. And as he watched the bush, he noticed something abnormal happened. What happens when you set fire to a bush? It disappears. It burns down. Have you ever set fire to something and it just stayed there? Come back a day later, it's still burning. You come back two days later, it's still burning. It looks exactly the same as it did when you lit it and it's still burning. I haven't, but this is what happened with Moses. As he's strolling through, as he's just doing his own thing, as he's just kind of heading through the desert, he's, he's walking along with all the sheep and he goes, whoa, there's a bush on fire. I said, that's a little strange. Wasn't any lightning. Wonder how the bush got on fire. And you can see him probably almost being inquisitive about it going, it's just bush. And he just couldn't get away from it. He was like, he would look at the bush. He would look back. He'd go. Finally, it says there, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of the bush. So he looked and behold, or wow, is the word we would use. He said he looked and wow, the bush was burning with fire. But the bush, it wasn't consumed. There are people that read the Bible and say, you see, that's proof positive the Bible's not true. Who's ever seen a bush that you could set on fire that wouldn't burn? 
I always love to look at them and say, you ever met my Jesus? See, God can do anything. He can roll back the stone from a tomb and a man walk out three days later and be alive. He can touch the eyes of those that are blind and heal them. He can touch the limbs of those that are, are lame and they can walk again. God can do anything to glorify himself. And what he's doing here is he's trying to get Moses' attention, and he did. For Moses looked and said, wow, there's a bush on fire, and it's just not being consumed. He goes on in verse 3 to say, then Moses said, huh, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn? I find it interesting. I'm not so sure that would have been my reaction. My reaction might have been, I don't know why the bush isn't being consumed, but I'm not going to hang around to find out. But Moses, when he looked at it, said, huh, i got to know more. I find it interesting that it tells us that because in verse 4 it says this, So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Here's Moses headed to the backside of the mountain of God. He spots a bush that's burning and not being consumed. He gets inquisitive about it, which was the Holy Spirit working in his heart. He goes over to see why. And when God sees him respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life and guided him to look at that bush, God from this burning bush says, Moses, Moses. You ever heard God speak to you? Have you really ever heard God speak to you? Have you ever been somewhere seen something that so attracted your attention and suddenly you just realize God's speaking to you. You know why most of us don't hear God speak to us? Because we go, huh, it's a bush. I'm on the way. I got somewhere to be. These sheep have to be at the mountain. Have to be at the mountain at a certain time. That's a bush. And we just keep getting it. When God the entire time is just wanting us to stop in the middle of our life and go, and let God speak. Often we don't hear him speak because we're too busy listening to everything else. And here Moses, he stops and says, i got to see what's going on. And because of his faithfulness to do that, God said, Moses, Moses. Now, I love Moses' reaction. There's two reactions we can have when God speaks. Number one, we can run away thinking that can't be God. Most times we do that because we don't want to believe what God's saying to us. Moses apparently had a heart that was seeking God, a heart that wanted to know God, a heart that wanted to fellowship with God. Because when God spoke from this bush that's burning that won't even be consumed by the fire, and he speaks and says, Moses, Moses, Moses simply looks at him and says, what? Here I am. Have you ever had something in your life that just seemed like it was consuming you and things were so big and so awesome in this situation and you think you hear God speak, and your response when God speaks is to immediately say, God, put this problem out. God, stop this situation. God, give me some relief from this thing. God oftentimes will speak to us in the midst of something amazing happening in our life, and all he wants us to do is say, here I am. He doesn't want you to ask for anything. He doesn't want you to ask for the problem to go away. He doesn't want you to explain how the bush is burning without being consumed. He wants you to stop and go, God, if you're calling, here I am. How much different would our Christian walk be 
if every time we heard the voice of God, we stopped where we were and said, God, here I am. And Moses did just that. He said, here I am. And it says then in verse 5, it says, Then he said, God said to him, Do not draw near to this place. Now I find it interesting that God himself is at this place and God gets the attention of Moses and Moses stops and does what God wants. God calls out and says, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here I am. And then God says, stop. He said, stop. Why did he say stop? He says, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for this place where you stand is holy ground. God tells him not to approach the place because he must be prepared to worship God. He must be prepared to come into his presence. He must do all those things that he needs to to prepare his heart to be in the presence of God. And it says that he said, stop. You see, he didn't want Moses to approach him unworthily because to approach God unworthily is death. To come into the presence of God in your own power, not in his power, in your way, not his way, in your strength, not his strength, is death. He wanted him to approach in a worthy way. And he wanted him to approach in an uncommon way. See, we approach God very often in an unworthy way, not asking for forgiveness of our sins before we do it. And we approach him in a very common way. Most of us get up Sunday mornings and we do the same routine that we do Monday through Saturday. We approach coming to his house in the same manner we approach going to the store, going to work, going to a friend's house. It's where we're supposed to be. We approach coming to God's house as common because this is where we're supposed to be at 11 o'clock on Sunday. It's a very common thing. For Moses to approach God, he said, stop. Don't draw near. You need to do this with the right heart and the right attitude. How does he tell him to approach? He says, first, take the sandals off of your feet. What do the sandals on his feet signify in his life? Sin. It signified that he was covered in the world in his life. See, Moses, even though his heart may have been inclined to God, and we see that because he was inquisitive about the bush, and when God spoke to him, he wasn't scared. He was comfortable. He says, here I am. At the exact same time that God spoke out to him, something about Moses was covered in the world. And what was it? His feet were covered by the dust of the world, which signified the sin in his life, the sin in our life. See, God doesn't call us to approach his service and leave our shoes on the porch. It's not the issue. What he calls us to do is leave the sin of our life outside of our worship with him. He calls us to place that sin under the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, we're to put off that which represents our walking in the world, and that is sin. We're to set aside those unclean things. And he tells him that we're to take off our sandals. Or He says, Moses, take your sandals off your feet. For this place where you stand is holy ground. The place where God is is holy. 
I think we have lost our vision of the holiness of God. If we really understood how holy God was, I don't think we could stand even being in his presence for an hour without first taking those sandals off of our feet. I couldn't stand to spend five minutes with him knowing that there was something that was covering me that was unholy. I can't stand to spend a second in his presence with sin in my life. Why? Because to look at God is to look at perfect holiness. When we approach that burning bush where God is at, we're to take off that which represents the world because this place where God is has no sin. What an awesome thought to think that there is this God who will call out to us from the place that he is at waiting on us to fellowship and worship with him. This God that calls out to us is so holy. And he calls out to us who are so unholy. If we were honest with ourselves, we keep the shoes on our feet, the sin in our life because we like it. We don't sin because we don't like it. We sin because we like it. We sin because sin can be fun. Sin can be enjoyable. Sin can be that which pleases our physical body. We're reluctant to cast it off because we like it. Yet God says, if you want to be in my presence, there's going to be nothing that satisfies you except me. And if you're not willing to let me be your satisfaction, you're not worthy to be in my presence. If you're not willing to set aside that which you love so much that is so wrong in your life to just sit in the presence of a holy God, you're not worthy. Because where you're approaching is this holy ground. The question that comes to my mind as I think about that for us is, How many of us approach this place this morning as if it was holy ground? How many of us brought through that door the world with us? Not thinking that you were going to spend time in the very presence of a holy God. How many of you, when you came in, the first thing you wanted to do was make sure there was nothing in you or on you that was a sin that hadn't been asked for forgiveness of so that you could just be in the presence of God in this holy place. You see, we've gotten very common at our worship and very comfortable with the things of the world. How many of us really took off that thing that represented our time in the world before we came into God's presence? How many of us consider the very presence of God to even be holy? So we approach God's throne sometimes to ask of him and to seek his heart, to get him to fix problems in our life, looking at him as that vending machine that we could stick a quarter in and get out that one thing we need to fix that one problem in our life that day. 
not realizing that that God that we approach to ask for the solution to the problem in our life at that moment is the holy God of all creation. See, even when you come to ask for the pain from the splinter in your finger to go away, that's the same God that said, let there be light. And there was light. The same God that we asked to mend the relationship between a husband and wife because it's having its turmoil is the same God that said, let the land appear. And there it was. The same God that we approach and say, God, I really just need a better job because this one's not paying the bills. Could you please just help me find a better job? That same God is the one that said, you know, I love you so much. Jesus, come here a minute. You're going to go to earth and hang on a cross and die for their sin. The same God that you're asking to fix the many little things in your life is the God who hung upon a cross. It gave us life for you. That God is holy above all else. Yet we take him so common. See, he goes on in verse 6 to say this to Moses. He says, you're standing on holy ground. And he says, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He reminded Moses... I didn't just start being God. This isn't something I just came up with in this minute at the burning bush, Moses. I am the God that was there from the beginning through all the generations of all the fathers that you've looked up to through your heritage. I was their God. He was saying that now I am your God. And he standed there before him saying, God... Abraham, I am the God that has been before and is the God that will be forever. See, this speaks of the faithfulness of God through all the generations. Do you ever think about when you approach God to ask God to do those things in your life that you need done? When you approach God to say, God, I've got this situation I need you to solve. Do you know that God is the same God that stopped the arm of Abraham from plunging the knife? It's the same God that said, Red Sea, part, my people are coming through. It's the exact same God that said, I know you've never had any kids. I know you're 100 years old, but I'm God. You're going to have the one that's going to lead to a man named Jesus that's going to come and die for the sins of everybody. See, the same God that you approach to say, God, I need you, is the same God that said, I know you need me, but I've already fixed it. I'm the same God that created eternity, past, created eternity, future. I've been here forever. This same God that spoke to Moses for the burning bush is the same God that made the bush. It's the most amazing thought to me that he stands there with Moses. And he says, Moses, I'm God. Look at Moses' response. 
that says, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. When's the last time that you've been in the presence of God and you hid your face because you were even afraid to look upon His holiness? When's the last time that your vision of God was so big that you realized you were so small that the only thing you wanted to do was fall at His feet and feel His mercy and His grace? See, Moses, when he was confronted with this holy God, said, God, I can't even look. I can't even look upon you because of who you are. We love to look at this God as this thing we put in a box. We'll open the lid of that box when we need you, God. But when I've got it under control, I'm just going to shut the lid and put you right over there. I'll be back when life gets tough. Not realizing the God in that box has the power to take you from this earth just like that. Not realizing that God is so powerful that one day every knee will go to the ground and hide their face in the presence of Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. We approach Him as if He's nothing because that's our vision of God. God should be approached with our sandals off and our faces hid because He is such an awesome and holy God. See, Moses' response showed that he understood who this God was. In verses 7 through 10, God goes on to back up who he is and tell Moses a little bit about his past and about who he is to Moses and to the rest of those it is heritage, for he says in verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people, talking about Israel, who are in Egypt, and have heard the cry because of their taskmaster. For I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Persians and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I love those verses for one reason. It's proof positive God hears us. It's proof positive God loves us. For he says, I heard the cry of my people because of that which was upon them. And he says, come now. Come now, Moses. I'm going to send you to the oppressor, Pharaoh. And you're going to tell him, I, God, am bringing my people home. What an awesome thought. Yet Moses looks at him and says, in verse 11, Who am I? <laughs> Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
he asked the question of this God. This God who placed a burning bush in the middle of the desert to get Moses' attention. This God who, when Moses walks up to the bush, says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. And God says, stop. This place that you're about to step on in my presence is holy. Take the sandals off, for you're in the presence of a holy God. This God looks at Moses and says, you are being sent to Pharaoh the oppressor to tell Pharaoh this God that's so holy is bringing his people back. Moses' response is, who am I? We're out of time this morning, so we're going to leave it right there with that question. When you stand in the presence of a holy God, who are you? Who are you to that God? Who are you to question a holy God? Who are you to decide your way is greater than the way of a holy God? I don't know about you, but there's been more times than I want to admit in my life that I've stood before God and said, who am I? God, I know you can do it, but who am I? See, if you really understood the holiness of God and the fact that he would even desire to have a conversation with you, to love you, to allow you into his presence, you must be somebody special. See, for to come into the presence of God on the holy place, you must be holy. Not in and of yourself, because we all know the Bible tells us we all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Therefore, none of us are holy in ourselves. We can only be holy through what God has done for us through this man named Jesus. See, if you really understand what Jesus did for you on the cross, you understand that now you stand before God righteous and right standing with God because of the blood that flowed from that cross over your life. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you for who you are and what you've done. He sees you for who Jesus is and what he did. When you step on holy ground, you may need to wash the dirt of the world off, but you'll never be needing to wash by the blood of Jesus Christ again because that's already been done. This morning I ask you, as you're in this holy place with God this morning, if he were to speak from the burning bush to you and say, you are to go do this, would your response be, who am I? Or would your response be, yes, God? I believe God's on the verge of changing things, both in this church, this community, and the world that we live in, in a major way. He's speaking for the burning bushes in our life. He wants us to stop and look, to want to know what he's doing. And when he calls your name, to say, here I am. And when he says, this is what you are to do, to respond obediently and say yes. You only do that 
if you understand how much God really loves you. It's like the verse from John 15. I read it for the kids today. There is no greater love that can be shown by a man for another than for him to lay down his life for you. God did that. God laid down his life for you. Now, when God speaks from the burning bush for you to respond in obedience, are you going to lay down your life for him? That's our call from the bush this morning. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.